Thank you so much, Jenny. Rumor is she's going to have a baby. <laughs> Could have been during that song. <laughs> you never know, you know. <laughs> you just never know. <laughs> Behold, I come quickly. <laughs> oh, my goodness, life. So that happens when you go on vacation, I suppose. I don't know. Anyway, um, Psalm 145. Psalm 145. We want to continue our thought tonight about legacy, about the story that we're telling. Um, you know, I, again, I mentioned this morning briefly the, the heartbreak of the um, homelessness in Seattle, particularly, that I saw. Um, we were One of the things about riding this train thing, you know, is you have to share a dinner table. There's not very many tables, and so... You always eat dinner with somebody you don't know. And so the first night, I think it was, um, it had been Friday night, we sat down with this older couple. And, you know, just, I don't, even, I don't even know how I did it, but I brought religion up and God up and stuff like that. And, um, and very apparently, very quickly, um, they, I could see some strong opposition. And, and then, of course, this is a great example of what not to say. Okay? But it really caught me off guard. And so I said, so... So what are you guys? And she said, we're universalists. And I said, they have those in Chattanooga? <laughs> now, how many of you have ever been in Chattanooga? Yeah, well, that's the Baptist, and particularly the independent Baptist capital of the world. And I'm not sure they allowed them to live there, you know, but they did. But it was very obvious that they had received some really bad an impression of, of Christians um, from their perspective. And, and then as, as I was, again, journeying in in uh, Seattle, Washington, as I walked, what I did was I got up in the morning and I walked again four or five miles just around the city, different, didn't know where I was going, just had my watch and just said, let's go. And again, I told you about, the, I mentioned the homeless people several times, but it was so strange. There's a couple of things. The absence of churches was, was unusual. Not, not total. There were a few and they were always small, um, but there was very much not a God presence in, in that city. And to walk down the street um, and to smell marijuana. Now, I, I'll, trust me, I only know why marijuana smells because when I was in the Air Force, um, I was the dorm captain, and I had to smell it so I'd know if the guys were smoking it. And I'm walking down the street, I'm going, what is that smell? And it was marijuana. And, of course, kind of like Illinois, but much, much more so. It's not enforced there. And Oregon is totally legal. The place we stayed at, at the Airbnb, uh, which is kind of like a bed and breakfast place, said, please, no smoking in the building, but you're free to smoke on the deck, including marijuana, because it's legal in Oregon. You know, I'm going, what? You know what? Yeah, but as in Washington and Seattle, it's, it's illegal, but it's legal for medicinal purposes, kind of like Illinois, but they really stretch that. And just a real sense of the lostness. And, and if you really want to appreciate the gospel, and if you want to appreciate the need for the gospel, go to a place like the Northwest, where it's very liberal and open-minded, and you'll come back with appreciation of knowing that we have a job to do, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And like, I'm going to tell you, and like that couple from Chattanooga, they don't need to see our religion. They need to see Jesus Christ. They need to see Jesus Christ. So tonight, I wanted to go through Psalm 145, the first 13 verses, and talk about... Now, this is David, of course, and, and David really got it. I, you know, when you were singing the I Got Saved song, you know, understanding that the Old Testament saints were saved by faith, 
And I guess the best way of saying it is they look forward to the cross. They were not saved by animal sacrifices. They were not saved by their, their good choices. They were not saved by somehow gaining God's favor because they couldn't, we can't, and they couldn't either. And, but, but they were saved in a sense of looking forward to the cross. They, by faith, believed that God was to provide that sacrifice. And I think we could say David got saved. Not that David. David got saved. Well, he got saved too, but, but David got saved. And he got it. He really did. And he's the author of Psalm 145, and he encourages the, the listeners of his song to... to, um, to really seek to praise God and to be sure this message is passed around. Because I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that what happened in Oregon and Washington can definitely happen in Illinois. And we're just, again, I'll say it a little, probably a little bit later, but we're one generation away from a Christless America. Total Christless America. Believe me, in Seattle and Oregon, it's such a godless place. And we're just one generation from that happening in our area of Illinois. So don't think it can happen. And the way we fight that is we write a story. We write a story. We tell our legacy. Now, in Psalm 145, 1, the, the psalmist, David in this case, again, really breaks out into praise. Um, how many of y'all ever watched the, the television show Antique Road Show? Anybody watch that? I used to watch it. And then I realized there's an old people show, so I quit watching it. The other one's Will of Fortune. Jeopardy. Those are all old people shows. Did y'all even know this? Oh, listen, if you want to feel young, just don't watch those. Just don't watch it. It's a state of denial. It's a state of denial. But I loved watching the Antique Road Show because you'd sit there, you know, and they would bring this thing in, you know, and, and the guy would go, oh, we were so excited when you brought this in, and la-di-da, 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 and it's worth $8 zillion. We're all going... And they found it in a yard sale for a dollar, you know? Something like that. It was amazing. But they, they had something, but they didn't know what they had, Loy. They had something, but they didn't know what they had. Often that's how we are with Christ. We don't fully understand what we have. David got it. David wasn't perfect. You know, you just studied about the priest at Nob and how that, you know, a whole, a whole village was destroyed because of David's lying. Because of David's line. Later on, 70,000 people were destroyed because of David's sin. We know the story of David and Bathsheba. It wasn't that he was perfect, but he was a man after God's own heart. He was passionate about God. And even though he wasn't perfect, he was passionate about God. And so he breaks into this song and says this, I exalt you, my God, the King. There you go, Jenny. I exalt you, my God, the King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. I will honor your name forever and ever. And probably one way of saying that he was a man after God's own heart was to say that he was a man who... Remember this morning we talked about that all this happens in our life through the knowledge of Jesus Christ? And it wasn't just a head knowledge. It was a personal, intimate uh, knowledge that we have of Christ, a relational knowledge that we have of Christ. David had that kind of relational knowledge. And it led him to break into praise. And nothing, listen, nothing grabs the attention of the world like authentic praise and worship. And that is why, that is why it's so important when we gather over here, we don't know who's going to wander into our building. We don't know who's going to wander into our building. But I tell you this, they can sense if it's real or plastic. They can sense if it's real or plastic. 
So that's why it's so important, whether we like the music or don't like the music, whether it's too loud, too soft, too hot, too cold, too bright, too dark, whatever it is, it's important to understand, well, one thing, he's worthy of our praise. But secondly, those people come in our building, they just want to sense. They want to sense. They need to, and I'm sorry, they don't want to sense. They need to sense the real deal, the authenticity of our faith in Jesus Christ. And nowhere is that better put, put out for them to see than in our authentic worship. So David just burst in a song. I exalt you, my God, the King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise your, you every day. I will honor your name forever and ever. And then watch this. Even though, even though he had this intimate knowledge, look what he says. Yahweh is great and is highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. As much as David knew about God, he said, I just touched the tip of the iceberg. As much as I know, as, as much as I'm a man after his heart, as much as I crave him, as much as I love him, his greatness is unsearchable. And that's the magnificent part of God. That's the magnificent part of God, that he is so big. Remember I, remember I said this morning, do you remember I said this morning that, that Peter says that if these things, these attributes are in you and what? Do you remember? It's the key thing. If they're in you and increasing. You remember that? And, and the Greek is the present participle, and then on and on and on, a constant thing, and we don't stop increasing in these things until, until we die. Okay, in the same way David's saying, I have known God, I love God, I searched God, and yet here's what I come to the conclusion of. His greatness is unsearchable. We should never lose the wonder of our God. We should never lose the wonder of our God, who he is and what he's done for us. We can lose the wonder of our religion. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, but we should never lose the wonder of our God. In fact, let me just stop and say something. You know, it's really important is that sometimes when people join our church, they, they like the preacher, they like the music, they like something that draws them to our church. But here's what I know. If that is not ultimately God, they won't stick around too long. The preaching will get old, the music will get old, the friendships could even get old. What, what makes people stay in a church is the authentic worship of God. And if, if their reason for coming is authentic worship of God, they'll stick around. If not, something will make them mad or something, and they have a tendency to wander away. Think about some of the folks you know that used to come who don't anymore. What happened? Well, generally speaking, often it's that lack of authenticity of God. Something drew them. It just wasn't the one thing that matters, and that's God. Now, Paul wrote about this unsearchable thing in Romans chapter 11, verse number 33. Let me read this to you. Paul, again, think of the wonder. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How, here's our word, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. So I just, you can't put it, you can't figure it all out. He's too big, and I'm glad that he is. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him and are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And often that's all we can say, Donna. That's just all we can say. God, to you be honor and glory and praise forever and ever. Amen. Because he's so big and because he's so great. Now back in Psalm 145, verse number 4, 
this is where it really just rung a bell with me. One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. I'm going to read that again. So way down. One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. Now, I know the average age on a Sunday night is, is a little bit higher than on a Sunday morning. So it definitely is very appropriate for us to speak about this tonight. Guys, we have got to pass this on to the next generation. You know, I, I, you know, I told Wilma Grable this morning. I said, Wilma, I said, I don't, I'm not sure exactly how I worded it because you didn't want to be crashed. But I said, how did I say it? She's not here, is she? Basically, I said something like this. Before you go to heaven, you need to cook an apple dumpling. You know, I don't, how did I say that, Rita? I'm not sure. It came out okay, but. <laughs> and y'all, do y'all remember her apple dumplings? When I came, listen, I don't know if it was God or the apple dumplings that called me here. I'm not sure which one it was. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. But she had this incredible ability, and her sauce is red. Remember that? And it was just like goozing this sauce, and they like exploded in your mouth. I mean, it was incredible. Well, somewhere along the journey, she went strictly to making her, which her cobblers are incredible too. Her cherry and peach cobblers are incredible too. But I just told her, I said, you know, before you go, you know, you need to make these apple dumps. She said, well, you won't eat one. I said, I promise you this. Let me tell you something. Sugar or no sugar, you make an apple dumpling, it's mine. I'll, I'll eat that, dude. I'll guarantee you. But, but my question would be this. I didn't ask her this, but who's going to make the apple dumplings next? Now, Tiffany makes a pretty mean apple dumpling, Tiffany Michael. But who's going to make the apple dumplings? Who's going to make the chicken and dumplings? Who's going to make the fried chicken and mashed potatoes? Mary, who's going to do the funeral dinners? And really, I'm trying to say this. Who's going to teach the classes? Who's going to make sure we are strong in our theology? Who's going to make sure that the next generation believes that this book is the Word of God? Who's going to make sure that the next generation will not be swayed by a culture that is so off course in their theology and their belief in God? You know who it's going to be? It's got to be us. Amen? Amen. It's got to be us. It's got to be us. We are the ones who have got to make sure that this truth is passed on from generation to generation to generation. And then look what he says. That's what he says in verse 5. I See, first off, one generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. And watch this. Look at verse 5. I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty and your wonderful works. He said, watch, watch, watch. He said, I will be, I will be a generation builder. I will be a generation builder. And I want to challenge us tonight, those of us who are here, that we will be generation builders, including the young ladies that are here. I choose to be a generation builder. I choose to be a legacy writer with a story that's worth telling at the end. I will be a generation builder. Will you be a generation builder? And I'm, I'm just telling you, We can't be a generation builder if we choose to stand by the side. There are two tragedies in church. One is we coddle and babysit the youth, and we coddle and babysit the senior adults. Pizza and fried chicken, pizza and fried chicken. Nothing wrong with with having a good time when you're a senior adult, but honey, 
You're more than having a good time. You are the legacy builder of the next generation. We must not lay aside our task to build the next generation for the sake of trips and plays and parties. Nothing wrong with that stuff. But that's not what you're left here for. As our dear friend John Piper said that day, we're not here to collect seashells. We're here to make a difference in eternity, in the kingdom, and the next generation. Now, you've got to love Joshua chapter 4. And I hope you'll probably, if you'll write this down, Joshua 4, 21 through 23. It's a familiar story, but you need to know where it is because it's very important to legacy builders. Okay, all right, Joshua has led the children of Israel. They crossed over on dry ground from the Jordan River, not the Red Sea, the Jordan River. And here's what Joshua says. And he said to the Israelites, in the future, read, in the future, and you may not be here, or you may be here, but in the future, when your children ask their fathers, what's the meaning of these stones? When children ask their fathers, What's the meaning of these stones? Now, now what had happened was when they got in the river, middle of the dry riverbed, they picked 12 stones up and they brought them out and put them on the bank and stacked them up. Okay? And Joshua's saying, now in the future, when your kids say, hey, Dad, what's that, st- what's that pile of stones about? Okay? Then, then he goes on and says this, you should tell your children. Hey, legacy builders, we've got to tell our children. Hey, hey, older legacy builders, we got to tell our grandchildren. There's a story to tell. You know, 1 Peter 3.15 says we should always have a, a reason for the hope that lies within us. We should be prepared to give a defense for the reason that lies within us. Our grandchildren should know that we love and adore Jesus Christ. Not that we're religious. Not that we go to church. That's fine. But that we love and adore Jesus Christ, God our Father and the precious Holy Spirit. You should tell your children, historical fact, historical fact, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. And then it gives the rest of the story. Verse 23, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea when he dried up before us until we had crossed over. This is so. This is why. This is so that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is mighty and so you may always fear the Lord your God. In other words, the deal is this. The reason God did the Red Sea thing and the reason God did the Jordan River thing was to bring glory to His name. The reason the church exists today, are you ready, is to bring glory to His name. So the nations might see the truth of the gospel and want what we got. They may want what we got. Joshua said, tell, tell them about these stones. Do you have stones in your life? And I'm not talking about kidney stones. They're very memorable either. Also, if you've had one, though. <laughs> if you ever had those, they're very memorable. But do you have stones in your life? So your grandchildren can say, Paul, Paul, tell me about this. Tell me that story. The other day, the, most, the coolest thing happened, and it involved some God stories, but it was just generally stories. But it happened, happened, I don't think. Our daughter Jennifer was at the house. Matt was at a conference, or the retreat, I guess it was. 
And I was in my room, and Judy was in there, you know, in my little study place. And, and she comes in, and she just lays down on the floor. And she starts saying, well, Dad, Mom, tell me about this. You know, first of all, I goes, what kind of kid was I when I was growing up? And started with those questions. But then she started asking some God questions, too. And we started sharing memories of church experiences that we had in other experiences. That should happen in our lives. As legacy builders, we should be able to tell our children stories of our life about what's, what God has done in our past as well as what God's doing in our future. Amen? Amen? So we've got to pass it on from generation to generation. That is not a job of ours. It's the job. It's the job. It's not a job. It's the job. And by the way, since you mentioned Bible school, what better way to do that than to love on about 150 kids that most of them don't have a grandma and grandpa to love on them, what better way, if your health allows you, to spend a couple hours a day down here just loving on kids? What a great opportunity to do exactly that. What a great opportunity. So then in verse number 6, we're back in Psalm 145. They will proclaim the power of your all-inspiring acts. They will proclaim the power of your all-inspiring acts. And I will declare your greatness. Once again, David just affirms the fact they will, and I want you to know, God, I'm on board. I will be a legacy builder. I will pass the faith along to my children and to my grandchildren. Verse 7, they will give a testimony of your great goodness and will joyfully sing of your righteousness. Now, here's what's interesting. David is fixed to make a shift to include the people of the world. It's very, our first mission field is who? Our family. That's right, Judy, our family. Our children, our grandchildren, nephews and nieces, that's our first mission field. But beyond that is a whole world out there who needs Jesus Christ. And what it says in verse 7, they will give a testimony of your great goodness and will joyfully sing of your righteousness to who? It's the peoples of the world. I love this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 11, Paul writes these words. Therefore, because we know the fear of the Lord, we seek to persuade men. Now, here's the deal. And we taught this before. But what's our thought, Tim, when we know anything about fear? We cringing fear. And let me read from you the commentary, what the commentary said. It says this. No single English word conveys every aspect of the word fear in this phrase. The meaning includes worshipful submission, reverential awe, and obedient respect to the covenant-keeping God of Israel. That's the meaning, some of the meaning of the word fear there. Knowing that we have a God who's worthy of our worship and our respect and our reverence, we persuade men. Paul isn't saying that, that we should um, you know, we should say God's going to zap you if you don't get saved. It's fry, it's fry or fly, baby. That's not it at all. It may be truth that without, without Christ you won't make heaven, that you'll spend eternity in a place called hell. That may be true. But again, we need to portray the awesomeness of our wonderful, wonderful God. And finally, if I can get the page turned, verse number 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious, and that word carries the word kindness. The Lord is compassionate, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and great in faithful love. He's patiently graceful. Patiently graceful. He's patient and extends grace. That's why, by the way, 
That's why Jesus hadn't come. He's being patiently graceful. The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all he has made. What's your proof of that, Duane? Calvary. Calvary. The cross exists because he is good to everyone. He wants every person to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and, and in relationship with him. He is good to all. His compassion rests on everything he made. Verse 10, all you have made will thank you, Lord. The godly will praise you. Let, let me read something to you to remind you of something. See, every knee is going to bow at the, at the feet of Jesus. Some will bow as judge and some will bow as savior, but every knee is going to bow. It says, therefore, in verse 9 of Philippians 2, therefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So all you have made, from David's perspective, he worded it this way, all you have made will thank you, Lord, and the godly will praise you. Remember this morning, godly living, godly life, the godly will praise you. As we experience God's goodness and grace in our lives, we naturally want to praise Him. Verse 11, they will speak of the glory of your kingdom and will declare your might, informing all people of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. There it is. That's why we're here. We're here to share the glory of your kingdom and declare your might, informing who? All people. All people. When Jim Elliott was getting ready to go to South America, um, there were some people that were very upset with him that he was going to throw his life away um, for the cause of the gospel. And he, uh, he very bluntly responded to them and you know, said, I know some of you dislike the fact that I'm going to South America. And in the process of responding, he quoted this hymn uh, called um, O Zion Haste, an old hymn. And here's what, he, here's what he quoted. Give of thy sons to bear the message glorious. Give of thy wealth to speed them on their way. Pour out thy soul for them in prayer victorious. And all thou spendest, Jesus will repay. Let me read that to you again. Give of thy sons to bear the message glorious. Give of thy wealth to speed them on their way. Pour out the, thy soul for them in prayer victorious. And all thou spendest, Jesus will repay. And you know the story, don't you? Jim Elliott later dies on an Ecuadorian beach as a martyr for the Lord Jesus Christ. At age 23, 4, he was 21 when he, 22 when he wrote this. So this is right before he left. So, so the cause of the gospel is worth it all. The cause of the gospel is being the legacy writer that we need to be. Above all else, we've got to make sure our kids understand the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Above all else, our neighbors, our friends, and those in the world knowing the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Find verse number 13. In conclusion, David says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule is for all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his actions. And all we can say is, Amen and Amen. My brothers and sisters, let me just encourage you. Be a legacy writer. 
Write a story that's worth telling. Stack your stones in your world so that your grandchildren and your children and those who know you will say, what means these stones? And you'll be able to share the, the way God has worked in your life throughout the generations, perhaps as a young man, perhaps not. Perhaps your legacy story started this morning when I said, you know, you may have a horrible legacy, but you can start today. And God can take that starting today and make it like a thousand years. Maybe it starts today. But start stacking your stones, writing your story, and others may know your love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Well, God, thank you for this different kind of day and different kinds of messages. But Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for the crowd that you've gathered here tonight. Our guests, yes, and but those who regularly come on a Sunday night and a Wednesday night. And truth is, most of us are just a little bit older than the Sunday morning crowd. But that just could, puts us in a better position to be legacy teachers. God, burden our hearts. Make sure that, that whatever the younger generation sees in us, that it represents you well. In our mouth, in our ears, the things we look at, the things we read, the things we do, our attitudes and our actions. May the younger generation see in us a Jesus worth following. Father, our task is great, but with you, all things truly are possible. So we love you tonight. We want to thank you that you've chosen us and allowed us to have this special opportunity to be the legacy, legacy builders that we are. And Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen.